You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. John 16, and then we'll be in Psalm 12 after that. John 16 and Psalm 12. A lot of people, uh, a lot of churches, uh, pastors refer to their Wednesday night services as prayer and Bible study. And, and I, I like that idea. And then tonight really will probably feel like that more than, than most. Um, it, we, we spend time in prayer, which um, I, God said that, th- that his house should be a house of prayer, by the way. And prayer should not be abnormal to us. It should be something that we do regularly and meaningfully. Um, but also, sometimes you, you just go through um, a, a lesson, you might say, more of a lesson than anything, and it feels more like a Bible study, but I don't think that's bad for us either. And uh, it's not always that you need a strong message in application necessarily. I think when you teach the Word, there's application uh, readily available and obvious. And I was even thinking last uh, about Sunday night with Brother, Brother Chad uh, preaching on love and respect and giving us an overview of what he's been doing. And uh, he didn't have, Brother Chad doesn't have to, you know, get all excited and, and yell at me for me to feel convicted about, about my role as a husband. And, uh, and I was plenty convicted just based on the truth. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is, on Wednesday nights, because we've been going more through kind of more doctrinal lessons and more doctrinal studies I, want to ask, I would like to ask you then to open yourself up to the Lord and say, uh, okay, maybe there won't seem to be as much application, but as we go through this, God, help me to see how this applies to my life. Help me to see how this should change what I do tomorrow. And I really believe that God will reveal some of those things to us, and especially based on what we're, we'll be talking about. We'll, we'll, we won't get to this verse right away. I'm going to give you some introduction and then we'll look at one verse here in John, and then we'll move on. We'll be looking at a few verses this evening. So I hope you have your Bibles ready, and I uh, hope you have a Bible. Put the, put the device down and get a Bible, practice turning those pages. Amen? And uh, I think it'd be good for us to, get, to remain in that habit of having a real Bible, and uh, I think it'll help us. Um, if you have a device, not, not down in the device, okay? But, but I, I don't know about you, but I like to hear this sound right here. The page is turning, and, uh, and I think we're getting away from that a little bit, so let's be mindful of it. Okay, if you have a device, I'm sorry. I did not mean to make you feel bad about having a device, and I'll go get mine if it'll make you feel better. Um, but um, if you have a device that turns the scripture and then has a sound effect of pages turning, that would be fine as well. I mean, that's kind of the best of both worlds, so... Anyway, um, what I I think what's on my mind tonight is I have not watched the news at all today. And I just want to turn that off. And so my Bible does not give me news alerts. And so that's why I like it. Okay. Um, So we're continuing our series on what I'm calling Baptist doctrine, why Baptist is kind of the theme. And, And really not just why Baptist, it's why we're Bible believers and, and as Baptists, we, we, are, we are Bible believers. That's, we, we don't have a source of truth 
that comes from, um, from mankind. We don't have traditions that we follow. We strictly, as much as we can, we try to follow God's word. That, that is our source of doctrine. And um, in the last couple sermons have been spent looking at uh, the attributes of God's word. And tonight we're going to be doing the same thing, attributes of God's word. Let me just give you a review of what we looked at. We talked about how God's word is inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, For all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Inspiration means God breathed, that the words of scripture were given by the breathing out of God. They came from God, and what came from God became the written word of God. We, We believe that. It's inspired. We also believe that God's word is inerrant. And 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The idea of inerrancy is, yes, the words came from God, he inspired them, but there was the act of recording those words. And in the recording of those words, it was without error inerrant. So it was inspired, it's inerrant, they were recorded error-free, but it's also infallible. And and infallible and inerrant kind of closely overlap. Again, it says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So the idea of infallibility is that Yes, God's word is perfect, but its teaching is always helpful. It never leads us astray. It's everything we need to be everything that we need to be for God. And so it's inspired, it's inerrant, it's it's infallible. And the whole summary, if I was to summarize so far what we've been looking at, is the Bible is God's authoritative, trustworthy, and wholly sufficient revelation of himself to mankind. We can trust it. 100%. 100%. We, we can depend on it. It cannot deceive us. It's infallible. It, it's everything we need. It, it can only help us to grow and to be like Christ. And when we started Why Baptist, I, I began with an acronym and it, using the word Baptist. And the first letter of, of the first, uh, there, the first letter is B, which is biblical authority. That's where we started. And I still believe that's the right way to start. Because everything else that we look at will be established within the pages of God's word. So even though we've looked at the doctrine of biblical authority for a number of weeks, I'm going to spend a couple more on it because even then it's not an exhaustive study. I mean, we could study this uh, for years and really not touch it all. Uh, I I hope you'll study some of these things for yourself. I, I really do. I hope that you will... Uh, get maybe some a fire burning in you uh, to to dig deeper into God's word so that you know why you believe and and what you believe. I think it'd be good for all of us to be those kind of of Bible readers and Bible studiers. Um, so to add to the study on the doctrine or attributes of God's word t- tonight, we'll be taking a simple look at the doctrine of preservation. The doctrine of preservation. And a lot of Christians will use the expression, they'll say, I believe in the divine, verbal, plenary, inerrant inspiration of the original scriptures. And and that phrase is absolutely true. We believe that for sure. But the only issue with that statement is we don't have the original scriptures in our possession. You know, I don't, unless unless you came across a a really once-in-a-lifetime discovery at a flea market... You probably don't have the original scriptures in your possession. 
Um, and, and over the course of history, they've been, they've been lost or they've been destroyed or they've been deteriorated. And, and so many, many people then would assume then that God's word is lost. God's word has, has been destroyed. The pages it was on, you know, they were deteriorated. So we don't have it anymore. And it's led to issues because um, first, it's caused many to believe like, that only the originals carry God's authority. And then, therefore, they downplay the significance of what we have today. Second, then, since many believe that only the, the originals were inspired, then uh, they have taken license to correct the Bible where it suits their needs. Uh, it's not rare these days to hear somebody say something like this. Well, that's, you know, that's what this says, but the Greek really means this. And let me just say, if I ever use a Greek definition, it's not to correct God's word. Uh, it's to help us understand God's word. It'd be like using a dictionary. Uh, I'm not, I am not ever, in my, in my mind, and I hope I never say it that way, I'm not ever intending to correct God's word. That's not what I'm doing. Um, some might say, well, a better translation is this, or this verse isn't found in the most ancient manuscripts. Those are the kind of things that you'll hear people say. And those kind of phrases, they're not only coming from uh, critical academics and modern movements. Even conservative fundamental circles, including independent Baptists, are saying things like that now. And so we need to answer some simple but important questions. We need to ask ourselves things like, well, do we believe that the Bible is intended for every man or only scholars? We, we, might, we have to ask ourselves that question. Uh, we have to be careful if we believe that God's word can only be fully understand, understood if you're an academic. And, and that, would, that would probably then filter a lot of us out, wouldn't it? If it can only be understood by those that have a certain level of IQ. No, let me just read this verse in John 16. This is where we're starting. And again, we're going to turn to a lot of places. It says uh, in John 16, 13, I believe if you need a Bible, I believe we have some in the pews as well uh, for our guests. It's good to have some guests with us tonight. It's a blessing. John 16, 13, it says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come. Now notice that that word spirit is capitalized. So it's a proper name. It's taught, what, who would that be speaking of? It's talking of the Holy Spirit, right? So it says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, you, if you read that verse, now John 16 is the, it's the chapter about the Holy Spirit. If you want to learn about the Holy Spirit, John 16 is a great place to start. But, but I just want to notice, these are the words of Jesus Christ. And according to the words of Jesus Christ, if we have God's word and we have the Holy Spirit... That's all we need to be guided into truth. So don't let someone tell you that unless you have a theological or theology degree or master of divinity or, or something like that, that you have to have one of those if you want to understand God's word. It's not true. Jesus Christ himself said, if you have his word and you have the Holy Spirit, then he will guide you into all truth. It's what we need. And some might argue and they might say, but it's hard to understand. And they might say, well, you know, this King James Bible, the use of the ancient language, and, you know, it's just so hard to understand all the these and thous. Isn't that what, what people use when they're talking about the King James? They said, well, the these and the thous. And, you know, it's just one of those things. Well, let me give you a, a few thoughts about that. First, the King James Version English was written in high English. It was, 
It's, very it's a very precise form of our language. So, so before you fault the these and thous, understand that's a much more precise way of speaking than even our modern English. Because the these and the thous, be careful not to criticize those because thee and thou is plural and singular for the word you. And in, if you just simply had modern English and you were just using the word you, that would cause some interpretation issues at times because you don't know if the passage is speaking to a group of people or to a single person. So don't, don't discredit the Bible just because it uses words that we're not familiar with. Those words are a help, and this is good English. This is, this, this is helpful and high English for us. It's a very formal version of our language. Um, second, why isn't there an uproar to update William Shakespeare in schools? You know, I, any, I mean, William Shakespeare, I don't know about you, but I mean, I would read passages of William Shakespeare, and I'm like... I have no idea what he's talking about. I'd go into class and I would say, well, this is what Billy right here, this is what he means. And, and my teacher would say, well, no, actually, this is what it means. And I, didn't, I had no idea where they were coming from. But, you know, there's not a movement in our schools to say, well, William Shakespeare is outdated. You know, part of the value in reading him is the fact that he, he writes in a language that we have to use our brains to understand. And, and, I, and his, in his level of writing is far, in my opinion, far above the level of the King James English, by the way. Third, the Constitution. You think about our United States Constitution. Um, it's guarded rigor, rigorously. Well, it used, at least it used to be. Who knows what happens from here on out. But, but, you know, it's guarded rigorously, right? I mean, you can't just go in and just... It's not Wikipedia. The Constitution is not. Uh, you can't just go in and just scratch a sentence out and write it however you want it. It takes, and I'm not even sure I, I know all the details, you might know better, but like two-thirds of Congress and maybe three-quarters of the states have to agree if you want to change a sentence in the Constitution, something like that. It's been a long time since I was in fifth grade, so I don't remember, or whatever, whenever you learn those things. You know, this is a pretty important document, too. And yet, these days... To change God's word now it just seems like it's a matter of preference or convenience and yet I mean we value our constitution to the point where we don't just go in and change that and yet compared to the constitution I mean this is so much higher and so let's not let's not just assume that God's word is ours for the changing I mean it, we, we we should protect and appreciate this and 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 the Bible is intended and, and it's accessible for every man it is not just for the academics. It is, it is not just for those that have a degree. It is for every man that Jesus Christ himself said that. So, that. so another question we have to answer when we're talking about preservation is, do we need to know Hebrew and Greek to fully understand the Bible? Well, if that's the case, why would God, who wants to make his word available to everybody, avail it in those difficult languages? I mean, I, and I know that those languages were the languages from which our, we, we got our texts for the English Bible. But we should not assume that, that we have to go to the Greek and the Hebrew to get anything out of it. God gave it to us in English. I mean, he's not, he's not up there priding himself and confusing us. Uh, he, he wants it to be accessible. And so are there things we don't understand in God's word? 
Well, yeah, of course there are. There are plenty of mysteries, but the basics of salvation and Christianity are not mysterious. The basics are not mysterious. Now, we may have a tough time understanding it um, because it seems too simple. I don't know about you. Have you ever tried to witness to somebody and they say, well, that just sounds too simple. I mean, that should be the evidence to us that God's word is not shrouded in mystery. He doesn't want us all to be, mis- to, to be uh, misunderstanding it and, and seeking it, but never finding it. No, he makes the things that he wants us to understand. He makes them plain. He makes them simple. Second um, Peter 1, 3, and 4 says this, According as his divine power hath given us unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So that verse says that everything you need in your Christian life comes through the knowledge of God. And that you have the knowledge of God through his word. That's his revelation of himself. And it says there, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of that is in the world through lust. That verse makes it very obvious that everything that you need to be a child of God, become Christ-like, to be like Christ, you have in God's word. It's accessible. It's available to you. And we have everything we need to be everything we're supposed to be. And there are times when the Hebrew or the Greek languages, they help us add color or understanding in the same way a dictionary might. But you don't have to be a scholar to understand and grow in God's word. I think it'd be good for us, and and I can fall into this trap too. I think it'd be good for us to just sometimes just sit down with our Bibles and say, God, please reveal this to me. I mean, Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is there to help you. It says he will guide you into all truth. And, and I know there are passages that are hard to explain, and it's not bad to pull out a, a commentary that you trust and uh, look up some of the definitions of the words. But um, if you come to a hard passage, if you have the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ says he will guide you into all truth. So don't overcomplicate it. And, and, and don't, make you, don't think that only somebody, if you have to have some help, if you're going to get it, it's the only way to do it. No, give God a chance. Give the Holy Spirit a chance. And uh, another question we might have to answer is, and we've looked at this already, but if some verses in the Bible are questionable in their translation, can we really be sure of any of it? You know, you've cast doubt on one verse, and guess what? You're casting doubt on the whole Bible. Uh, We've already talked about this in this series, so I'm not going to get much into it. But if we take it upon ourselves to to correct and criticize and and question just one verse, then I do think it erodes our confidence in the rest of it. So then we're transitioning to this part about preservation. A belief in the doctrine of preservation helps settle a lot of those questions. If you simply accept at face value what God's word says about preservation, it starts to settle a lot of the questions that linger in our minds and cause us to doubt. Without this doctrine and the doctrine of inspiration, you know, we would likely not ever be 100% sure that we have God's word. I'm thankful that the doctrine of preservation is, is taught. Let's look at Psalm 12. Go over to Psalm 12. We'll look at a few verses as we go. Psalm 12. All right, Psalm 12, it says in verses 6 and 7, 
The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I love those verses. They really do say a lot about the doctrine of preservation. And I don't want to point out three things, the, the extent of preservation. Look what it says. It says in verse 6 again, the words of the Lord. So the extent of preservation here is we believe in verbal, in verbal inspiration. In that, and we've talked about this. In that God, he didn't just inspire the thoughts or the meaning. He inspired the words. And he worked with the personalities and writing styles of the human authors to make it happen in a way that only he could. But words are important. Every jot and tittle are important to God. God inspired every word. And, and we have to understand that then he says, not only do I inspire every word, but the words that I inspired are, are preserved. It's, it, that's the extent of God's preservation. He didn't just say, well, the main few thoughts about Christianity, as long as they're there. No, he says, no, the words, the words of the Lord are pure words. And he says, thou shalt keep them in verse seven. So the extent of the preservation is the words. Look at the agent of preservation. Again, verse six, the words of the Lord's a pure word, or Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. What's the next word? Thou. thou. Okay, thou. Well, that's just too hard of a word for us to understand in the English language. It's too ancient. Thou. No, what's thou? Is that singular or is that plural? That's singular. And who is that talking about? It's talking about God. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them who? O Lord. Okay, if there's ever a proof of preservation, it's this fact that the agent of preservation is God himself. If it was up to mankind to preserve God's word, you know, we would have reason to doubt it. And you know why we would have reason to doubt it? Have you ever played the game of telephone? You know, you, in, in elementary school and they line you up around the room and one person says one thing. And by the time it gets to the third person, it's already so twisted. And I mean, it's not anything close. And you get down to the end and it's nothing like the original, Right. So when we think about preservation, if we think that we're the agents of preservation and we're thinking about the game of telephone, guess what? We'll have no confidence in preservation. But whenever you think about the fact that, no, God placed it upon himself to preserve his words. Thou, O Lord, it says. Thou will keep them, O Lord. The words of the Lord are pure Thou shalt keep them. So the extent of the preservation is the words. The agent of preservation is thou. It's the Lord. And then the period of preservation. Look at this. It says, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I was hoping for an amen. I was, like, was going to ring it out. Forever. No. You know, I can't think of a more permanent sounding word. Forever. God says, I am going to preserve my word forever from this generation. Well, listen, if, if we didn't have confidence in the preservation of God's words before, these two verses should change our mind about it. But let's look at some more. Look at Psalm 33, verse 11. Psalm 33, verse 11. 
It says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Okay, so the counsel of the Lord is obviously his words, his judgments, his advice, the counsel of the Lord, but it says the thoughts of his heart to all generations. So he doesn't say the thoughts of my heart and the counsel, my counsel, it's preserved for those that had the original transcripts. No, it says to all generations. It's preservation. Look over at Psalm 100 verse 5. Psalm 100, verse 5. Are you turning? You got your Bible app page turning sound up? Okay. Psalm 100, verse 5. It says, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Okay, Psalm 111. We're turning a lot here. Psalm 111, verse 7. It says, the works of his hands are verity, which that means true, and truth and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. Boy, just to emphasize, it's not just forever. It's forever and ever. Look over, in case you think it's just Old Testament, look over at Matthew 24. Over in the New Testament, Matthew 24. It says in, uh, we'll be in verse 35, Matthew 24, verse 35. Uh, These are obviously the words of Jesus Christ again. You know, I love, in in studying this, through this, I love the evidence that Jesus Christ himself gives about the authority of Scripture. I mean, he references Scripture. He he talks about it himself. Uh, It's not just something we're making up. Jesus Christ says it. Look at verse 24, Matthew 24, verse 35. It says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I mean, you talk about giving you confidence, right? Look at Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And we, we know these verses very well. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It's the Great Commission. And Jesus, verse 18, look, start there. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. By the way, you've got to have something to teach. Okay, so he refers to that in a moment. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Okay, so he says, go ye therefore. Now, in the last phrase, he says, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. So how long do you think Jesus Christ is telling us we should go? To the end of the world, right? He says, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. He says, go ye therefore, I'll be with you until the, until the end of the world. But what does he say we go with in order to teach? He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. In what form are all the things that Jesus Christ has commanded us? In what form do we have it? In God's word. So if Jesus Christ himself says that I want you to go and teach my word to, to the world until the end of the world, then what is the implication? The implication is that we will have his word until the end of the world. 
It's very clear, and not even anything I've ever really thought about before, but the truth is right there. Jesus Christ himself is saying, as long as the Great Commission exists, which is, that's as long as the church will be on the earth, then the word of God will be present with them for them to carry and teach until the end of the world. Look over in John 12. John 12. It says in verse 47, yeah, and if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And you say, well, what does that mean? I thought Jesus Christ is our judge. Well, it says, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, this same shall judge him in the last day. So again, we see that the words of Jesus Christ are present until the last day. So there's not, I mean, I think it's all covered here. That the preservation of God's word from the time it was given until the very end of time, it exists. It's here. It's present. And then let's end up back over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, where we've been many times already on Wednesday nights in Y Baptist here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. And, and we've read these again many times, but I just want to look at them one more time. 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. And it says, And that from a child, and sorry, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So, but go back to verse 15. It says, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. So Paul is saying that Timothy had the scriptures. He's saying, you, you've known the scriptures. Uh, Paul wasn't saying, you've known, um, in, he, he didn't just say, you have a reliable duplicate. You have a fairly reliable copy. No, he says, from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures. But did Timothy have the original autographs? Did Timothy have the original manuscripts? No, I think the chances are pretty good to say he did not have a copy of the original manuscripts in his bedroom. But in his day, the Old Testament writings would have been between 450 and 1500 years old. They would have been very old. They would have been copies of copies of copies of copies. So the copies that Timothy had... They, that he had access to, they're, but they're called scripture. They're called holy scriptures. And not only that, Paul says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So the copies that Timothy had access to are called scripture and they're called inspired. Now, these verses contradict the idea that only the originals uh, were inspired. Everything else is just maybe a reliable or helpful copy. No, the, the originals were, were inspired and they were preserved for us. They'll always be present uh, for us. These verses contradict the idea that it's only the originals. Now, listen, I don't believe that God double inspired the Bible. Meaning, I don't believe that the translators were inspired myself. I believe that God had a supernatural hand in making sure that they were, they were copying as they should because he, he, get, he places the responsibility on himself to keep his words. 
So I mean, there's no reason to think that God wasn't involved in the process. He was involved in the process. I believe the originals were inspired, but I believe that, they, that those originals, those inspired originals, then the inspiration is preserved through God's word and then we have it today. So we, you know, this is all, when you start really looking at the language of the New Testament and Old Testament, the preservation, I mean, it's hard to come to any conclusion except that God has preserved his word for us. I mean, missing the originals doesn't mean we don't have God's word. He's more than capable of preserving his word. And we could look over at 1 Timothy. Let's look there. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. It says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, 1 Peter 1, 24, it says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, I'm sorry, the, the grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. 1 Timothy 23 through 25. Listen, here's what Peter says about God's word. Peter says in these verses about God's word that it's incorruptible. So the promise is that there's continued purity, that God's word will be incorruptible. So there's a pure Bible is what he's saying. He also says it lives forever. He says, but it's incorruptible but by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That's the promise of continued, continued effectiveness. I mean, listen, if, if God's word, he says God's word liveth forever. That means that you, I don't know if you've ever felt this way. Has a word ever spoken to your heart in a way that you're like, wow, God is moving through the word in my heart. Has that ever happened to you? You ever been convicted by God's word? You know why? Because the Bible's alive. It's a living book. And the fact that it's, it, it works in us in those ways gives us confidence that it's not just the originals that were alive. I mean, God preserves his word, and if the word's ever convicted you or moved in you or changed you, that's all the evidence you need to believe that God's word is preserved. Also, though, it says it abideth forever and endureth forever. It will be in existence forever. These are just helpful verses. It's just all through the New Testament. Listen, if God's word carries his authority, we can believe what it says about itself, and that is that he has preserved it. And I'm not going to get into all of it tonight, but... You know, our, our church's position is we believe God's word has been divinely preserved for the English-speaking people in this authorized King James Version. There's a lot of versions out there, and there's a lot of confusion out there. And we, it, you know, I'm not going to get into all of that, and I'm not a, an expert on all that anyway. I have my reasons for believing this. I think we, goes to the fact, we can just go back to the fact that this has been proven for a long time. And, and you have to be careful, then, to assume well, you know, if it's in English, and it, it, then it's okay. You know, things that are different are not the same. And it's important for us to understand um, that, you know, if God promised to preserve his word and, and you don't have any reason to change except, that, except for convenience or ease, I'm not sure that's a good enough reason to, to just kind of discard um, this that has been proven for a long time. Um, you know, let me just ask you a couple questions. God has gone to such great and supernatural lengths to preserve his word for us. But what lengths are you going in order to let it change you? I mean, think about it. 
God is God to great lengths to give us his word. How sad would it be that God would go to such great lengths to preserve his written word for people that don't really care all that much? See, I heard someone say one time, uh, you either hold God's word in your hands, you hold his word in your head, or you hold his word in your heart. So I'm asking you, in which place do you most often carry God's word? Because we're good, we're good Baptists, right? And we, we still bring a Bible, and we carry a Bible, and we walk into church, and we carry it around. But for some people, I'm afraid that's the extent of where they keep God's word. It's in their hands. I also think there are plenty of people that have God's word in their head. And that's a good place to have God's word. You should memorize it. But there's a difference, and you've heard this, there's a difference between a head knowledge and a heart knowledge. Meaning it's very simple or easy for God's people that are around God's word and hear preaching all the time to simply make it an academic exercise. It's just something, well, I know that's interesting and that's a good point, but it never goes from here to here. Um, Are you keeping God's word in your hands or is it in your head or is it in your heart? You know, it's only not until it gets to our heart does it change us. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Uh, It says, uh, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even into the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If the Bible is only ever in your hands, and it's only ever in your head, and it never gets to your heart, then you will simply be an academic Christian. That's it. Or, Or a Pharisee, at worst. And none of us want to be that. No, let's let God's word do the work it's supposed to. And let's, if he went to all that effort to keep it for us, then I ought to keep it for him. He went to all those links to save it, preserve it for me. I ought to do something with it. Obviously, he thinks it's important enough to, to be a, a major contributor and significant helper in my life. So what's, what am I doing with it? What are you doing with it? Is it in your head? Is it in your hands? Or is it in your heart? He preserved it for you. Let's make sure if he kept it for you, let's make sure that we keep it for him. All right, that's, that's the Bible study tonight. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.